0: Welcome
1: back to the C2C Podcast. Here we are in episode three. Okay, so Jeff, we've got our first guest today. Uh, we're very excited to have on uh, Dr. Andy Ho- Andy Hogan. Who is Andy, Jeff?
0: Andy's a close personal friend of ours, isn't he, me? <laughs> uh, and he's a doctor of immunology and research at the Monash University. National uh, National University of New Zealand, so to say. Uh, but who's Andy's uni?
1: Yeah, we both know Andy from the gym. Um, I'm really excited to have a chat to him today um, and understand more about what he does and have a chat to him more about his research and the effects of um, inflammation on our immune system. So let's get going.
0: Right, nice. great to have you here, Andy, with us today. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I know it's very important. You're a very important man. Uh, we're humbled to have you here. Um, <laughs> tell us what it is that you do exactly, to be honest. With yeah.
2: yeah, so first of all, guys, thanks for having me on. And uh, I don't know about an important man, but um, I, I, I do love what I do. So I am an immunologist. Um, I'm an assistant professor in immunology at Maynute University. And my research program focuses on obesity and the impact of obesity in particular on the immune system and how it leads to diseases like uh, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease and cancer. So for, for 10 years now, we've been kind of investigating the role that the immune system plays, I said, in these diseases and more recently, the role the immune system plays in body weight
0: that's obviously going to be a big thing uh, that we talked about today. And what is a typical day then for you? Like you get into the office, you get your coffee. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror. You gel the hair off. What happens after that?
2: Yeah, so I, I'm I'm a strange person. I don't drink tea or coffee. I don't I don't drink alcohol. So so yeah, mm-hmm. uh, my 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 day my typical day. Um, so I also lecture here, but my typical day is you know get into the office and. Um, we have a fairly large research team and lucky enough that I have at the moment, I think there's 12 people in my, my research group. So um, kind of touch base with those, look at today's experiments and kind of give them their, their kind of uh, bits and pieces that that they need from me. Um, And then just throughout today, we're just constantly kind of, um, I'm constantly just reading up on the literature, coming up with new ideas, looking at the data that the lab is producing, trying to interpret that data and then trying to see where that leads us next. So, so I guess the lovely thing about kind of my job is that um, every day is different. And, and what we're constantly trying to do is follow the evidence. You know, every day we get a new bit of evidence and we try put it in, like this piece into the puzzle and see, well, you know, where's the next piece and where's this leading us? And uh, that's been going on for 10 years now. So the uh, puzzle is still fairly sparse, <laughs> but, but it's been a fun process.
0: And then during this lockdown, you would have been in the like going into work every day then you couldn't really do it from home,
2: obviously with the research and stuff that's going on at Yes. Yeah, so, so during the first lockdown, what happened was um all our research was w- was stopped actually. But um we we were particularly interested, I said, in kind of COVID in the setting of obesity. So what, what's definitely emerged over the last kind of uh, several months is that people who are um living with obesity are kind of at a greater risk of getting COVID a greater risk of ending up in the hospital, a greater risk of ending up in ICU. And unfortunately, they have higher rates of death than people who have a healthy body weight. So quite quickly, we kind of mobilized our lab to kind of switch to see, you know, why that's happening. And um, so, yeah, pretty much from, from day one, you know, we, we were out of the lab, but by day two, we were back in. But in this case, we were looking then at at COVID. Um, now, we still have COVID work going on, but lucky enough, now at level two, the lab is open, so... You know, we have our COVID work going on, but we've gone back to our pure kind of obesity work, which is, I guess, we've been kind of uh, doing now for, for quite a long time and hopefully will be for the next long time.
1: And Andy, uh, before we kind of dive into, I guess, inflammation and the immune system, um, certainly prior to kind of two, three years ago, my, I guess I was just ignorant to what our immune system really was. The immune system, to me, was something that prevented us from getting a cold. So can you kind of explain to us maybe what the immune system is and how important it is for our bodies?
2: Yeah, so I think you know your your summary, Neve, at its very basic, your summary is correct. So the immune system is this complex kind of network of cells and proteins, and it it one of its primary functions is to keep us, you know, healthy and safe. So what it does is, you know, if you get a infection or you get, you know, so, some trauma your immune system kicks in, it, it can kill the bugs. So like so COVID, you know, what happens is in COVID, you hope that your immune system responds and can kill the virus and clear the virus from your body. Um, and so, so that's one of its basic principles. But I think what's emerged as well is that it doesn't have to be an infection. Right? Your immune system can respond to danger as well. You know, so for example, you stub your toe, you get an immune response. So, so, and the the response is, is inflammation. So inflammation is this process where your body sees a danger signal and that can be, you know, a virus infecting you. It could be, you know, stubbing your toe or when your CrossFit instructor drops a 20 kilo plate on your foot, (laughs) which Jeff did to me.
0: (laughs) You you
2: get the, the classical signs of inflammation, right? And what they are is, you know, you get swelling, you get heat, you get redness, you get pain, and sometimes you get loss of function. So we've all like rolled an ankle and that's an immune response. And so we've kind of learned from that, that actually the immune response also helps repair tissue. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so it's, it's trying to help repair that damage. So, so that's its kind of basic function. But in the last kind of maybe 10, 20 years, what's come out is that it also just helps maintain normal tissue, right? So it just helps every day. It helps your tissues function normally, helps keep them healthy keep them taking over so it, it's become a much more complex you know system where we thought it was just there to protect us against invaders and then we kind of thought you know it also helps us you know with damage but it turns out that every day it just constantly keeps us working well
1: okay does it have a role in regulating our body mass or is it our body mass that affects it
2: yeah both so so it's a real double-edged sword so, so that's right where my my research is at you so where we got interested first, say, for example, in obesity and body mass was that in, in, in kind of patients who had a higher body mass, we noticed that the immune system seemed to be, you know, um, altered. And for, for a lot of the case, what happened was the immune system seemed to be de- defective. You know, the, the, the cells that would normally, say, for example, one of our big findings was the cells that would normally kill cancer. And um, in patients with a high BMI, they weren't killing cancer. So, so what happens is those cells were defective. So, so definitely, you know, the body mass has an, an impact on the immune system. But more, more recently, uh, kind of a colleague that I work with who's kind of now based in Harvard, uh, actually from, from Luke and uh, Lydia Lynch, she kind of found that when you started tinkering with the immune system, you had a massive effect on weight. You know, so, so if, if you lose critical cells from within the immune system, all of a sudden you start gaining weight much faster than if you have that cell. And you, how
0: would you know, change the cells from the immune system? Like when you start talking about like, if you start changing the immune system, what would change the immune system itself? Those critical cells. So,
2: so th- there's, it's, it's multifaceted. So definitely what we have is we have, say for example, you know, there's your environmental. So we know that, um, you know, say things like fatty acids, Right. So, so, you know, the levels of fatty acids in the body can change it. There is some genetic predisposition to this. So, what we think is it's kind of like this we always talk about it as this kind of continuing circle where you increase your, your BMI and uh, that kind of has a knock on effect on these cells. And then the loss of these cells then increases your BMI and you start getting this kind of, you know, really difficult chain to break.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I have a question now. Now a little birdie has told me that you grew up on uh, on four and one, and I'd love to know what they do on the amusement
2: <laughs> I I grew up on what? Sorry, you have to tell me this again. You grew up on three and ones or four and ones That was your music? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I presume you've been talking to my brother uh, from from <laughs> so, Crossfit Atlanta. <laughs> the
0: sources are highly connected to you, Andy. <laughs> uh,
2: um, well, you know, this is funny because th- this is kind of partly what got me into some of this research and um, so when i was a kid i i did i we lived right next to the, the local chinese which is you know just a disaster because <laughs> what happens is um you have all these signals um which we're kind of looking at the moment which just tell you you want food right and for the most part these work really well so you have all these signals that tell you when you want food and you have all these signals that tell you when you don't want food and um, unfortunately the the kind of the, the the modern diet can override these. So what happens is you kind of go, I want another three and one. I want another three and one. So yeah, no, I was pretty heavy as a kid, and um, that kind of led me into into sport, and it kind of also then it, it was never planned, but you know it kind of aligned really well with my professional career. So these were always going in tandem, and I think some people think that they're linked. The fact that you know I was into sport, and then I kind of reopened the the different gyms and that I was working on obesity that they were linked but actually they've never really crossed over but definitely you know it gave me an appreciation of of how the body works you know and how difficult it is to to, to lose weight you know and without the right support without the right structure in place
0: yeah and when you were obviously kickboxing like to a very high level the world champion I've been told on a number of times by yourself um (laughs) what was your diet looking like then? what would it would it have gotten better then over the years or would it have generally just been kind of you were out training a bad diet you tell me i've no idea
2: yeah no it, it, it got better for sure but what happened was like it's it's amazing how young pups like yourself have the internet to go to so when <laughs> i was training we, we were training at one stage uh i think it was 28 hours a week was our training schedule and um our diets well my diet consisted of brown rice tuna mm-hmm. and chicken and that was it okay so to the point of actually again my my family kind of had an intervention where uh i had lost so much weight and um, and they were kind of getting worried that i'd lost so much weight and uh, that that they actually started leaving my mother started leaving me you know like little little kind of midnight snacks in in my bedroom for me you know oh yeah i hope that i'd eat them and um yeah so so essentially what happened kind of i went full circle but but again, I hadn't got the proper science, so basically we weren't fueling ourselves. There was, no, you know, properly there was no strength and conditioning program. There was no real recovery programs. We knew none of what you guys, you know, are, are kind of uh, educating people about. We didn't know about sleep. We didn't know about proper nutrition, about recovery, the importance of other factors. For us, it was just you know, move as much as you can, and eat as little as you can, and take it from there. Um so at one stage, I think now I'm 125 kilos. I think at my my um, kind of peak of my fighting i used to fight at minus 94 kilos yeah that so, was like
0: um, nice for your height like
2: 94 kilos yeah it was ten. it, it I was it was it was lean but the funny thing was there wasn't an awful lot of muscle mass there so i reckon that my 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 kind of body fat was probably similar enough between the two Well, not it was definitely lower but you know the, the muscle mass was massively lower as well so so I think we had it all wrong. But again, in fairness, it was 20 years ago. I said like we hadn't got. I remember ordering a book from the States and having to wait six months to get it. Uh, a book on how to, you know, how to stretch. And it was, it was like pictures, you know, it was the most, yeah. useless, most useless kind of 30 quid I ever spent. But at the time, you know, that's where information came from. It came from books that weren't widely available. Where now, you know, you've got all There's these so much information at your disposal.
1: Yeah. Nearly,
2: it's nearly overwhelming, the information that's available to is, you know, and, and that's part of my, my, my day job is trying to tease out what's good information from what's bad information. Yeah. And the same yeah. within, you know, uh, especially within obesity, because everybody, you know, has, um, has an opinion. And there's a lot of people, you know, who haven't got, say, for example, uh, the, the foundations to give you their opinion. But it's, you know, yeah. so a celebrity can go on and say, you know, you drink this raspberry tea, yeah. Uh, that gets more traction than the best nutrition experts in the world can get you know?
1: yeah yeah so i mean it's it's obviously hugely hu- important to keep our immune system as healthy as we possibly can um and it might sound i guess people who are listening that that can be quite an overwhelming task but you know looking at the i guess the specificness of how inflammation affects our immune system like ha- inflammation we need inflammation as you mentioned we do need inflammation to protect us and to repair tissue and to fight to our bugs but when does it become dangerous
2: yes so uh, as you already pointed out so, so we need inflammation inflammation is this kind of really important very natural process that happens when the body needs it right so we call that kind of acute inflammation so what happens is your body needs it so it, it kicks off this inflammation process and then the, the the really important part is that it can switch it off. So when the bug is gone, when your toe is healed, the inflammation goes away. What what's kind of emerged over the last kind of uh forty years probably is that what we call chronic inflammation. So inflammation that starts but never goes away. And you know, that's really the dangerous inflammation. And it's it, it's usually not as, as strong as the acute inflammation. So we call it kind of low-grade inflammation, but it's constantly just tipping along in the background. And the problem is that inflammation has, you know, effects on your metabolism and it has effects on pretty much all your bodily functions. So if you have, you know, too much inflammation and especially unwanted inflammation, it it does end up having these knock-on effects, which as we said earlier on, then kick into driving more inflammation. So you get into this cycle of, you know, unwanted inflammation.
0: And how do we... like control that unwanted inflammation,
2: actually. Yeah. So so there's so many How things. That we feed, that? There's so many things that feed into it. Like to definitely, say for example, exercise is a very kind of um, a very potent uh, medicine, right? So so we know that exercise can induce acute inflammation because when you want to repair muscles, you know you need inflammation. So the the, the muscles actually that have been exercised produce a lot of proteins which would be inflammatory. And their goal is to help repair, you know, uh, that, that tissue. And um, we know that our diet, you know, certain diets can kind of promote inflammation. Certain diets can, you know, um, promote anti-inflammation. Now, the, none of these things can be taken on their own. So, you know, if you go off and have this anti-inflammatory diet, if there's other processes at play, it just cancels it all out. So there's so many factors that feed into it, but, but generally, you know, People who live a healthy lifestyle have less inflammation than those who live an old healthy lifestyle.
1: And it can be invisible as well. I think this is the thing that I've learned as well. You know, somebody that looks quite healthy from a, I guess, a body mass and a BMI perspective couldn't look healthy. But in actual fact, they could have kind of low grade or chronic inflammation going on inside.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so that that's kind of comes back to, you know, we we have um, the 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 five cardinal signs of inflammation, you know, is that, the heat, the swelling, um, the the pain, the loss of function. And I, I miss someone there, Jeff. Come on, what's the, what's the fifth one? So redness, <laughs> swelling, uh, pain, loss of function. Um, and, and same example, we don't have those. So people who have, you know, same example, certain, you know, autoimmune conditions, uh, people who have, you know, obesity that that has this chronic inflammation, they're not walking around red, sore, swollen, you know, in pain all the time. So yeah, a lot of the time, it's, it's kind of, it's at a, a level that's low enough that it starts to affect processes like metabolism, but it's not, you know, it's not high enough that all of a sudden, you know, you start to lose function, which is obviously when the alarm bells uh, kind of come along. So one of the best examples of it is cardiovascular disease. So cardiovascular disease, you know, um, ultimately ends up in uh you know either stroke or or some sort of cardiac event and what happens is it's built by inflammation over many years and you never see it so the first sign of this you know 20 to 30 year inflammation process is your stroke Mm. you know so, so, so that's it so that's the problem that you know we don't always see this inflammation we rarely kind of um pick it up unless you go looking for it and um
0: And that's worrying considering a lot of people won't won't change uh, the way they do things, like the process of their daily lives, until there's a sign. So if all of a sudden you're telling me that the sign is a stroke, then, you know, we really should have controlled a few more things that could have helped us in the earlier years. What would you consider to be, like, really important now? Like, say me, 30 years down the road, What would you give me advice on so that I can not uh, get into that say chronic inflammation?
2: I guess lead the healthiest lifestyle you can lead. And what that is, is, you know, exercise, you know, uh, kind of get your sleep, try to keep your stress levels as low as possible. Um, And so it's it's the common sense, the stuff that, that, you know, you guys are promoting, where it's trying to take this holistic approach where it's not just exercise, it's not just your diet, you know, there's other factors, you know, you kind of control your stress levels and trying mm. to, you know, sleep. There's some really great research from um, an Irish researcher kind of uh, called Annie Curtis. And what Annie has shown is she's really interested in how circadian rhythm, you know, controls inflammation. And, and they've done great experiments like, you know, if you kind of have an infection that starts during the day, your body deals with much better than if you have an infection in the middle of the night you know, because the immune system kind of likes to follow the same rhythm of kind of day, night, day, night that we follow. But the problem is that, again, you know, obesity is associated with a, you know, disrupted circadian rhythm. You now, whether it's chicken or egg, I'm not entirely sure. But but again, it shows that processes that people probably don't put a lot of value on, likes of, you know, good quality sleep, do have biological Consequences, you know. So it's not just a case of feel tired and I haven't got the motivation to train. It's actually starting to disrupt these processes, which, you know, again coming back to you, you get inflammation, which disrupts the circadian rhythm, and that inflammation then has a knock on effect on your metabolism. And now all of a sudden, you know, you've got kind of weight gain going on that's unexplained or or harder to control. So the best thing to do is we always say to people that you know we, we try. I'm linked in with a, a large kind of a weight management clinic in a hospital. And we've tried to remove it away from weight. So, you know, if you lose weight, that's fantastic. But the real goal here is to, you know, get rid of this silent inflammation that is really the, 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 the dangerous part here, you know? Yeah. So, so we always say to our patients, you know, and some of like, I think one of the biggest patients that we've had so far has been over 300 kilos in body weight. You know and we kind of know that for, for that person you know to lose 10 percent of their body weight is going to be a real success
1: mm-hmm. but they're still going to
2: weigh 270 kilos but the f- effect that's going to have on their you know internal you know processes the the, the inflammation you know the, the risk of all diseases are so dramatically reduced with just that 10 percent reduction so it's not all about weight, but what it is, it's about getting good quality sleep, good quality nutrition. You know, exercise is one of the best medicines, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and stress, trying to keep your stress levels down because, again, you know, stress is intrinsically linked with inflammation. You know, and it's one of these things that, again, we, we kind of think about stress. You, you need some stress. You know, the, the body needs a little bit of stress, but the problem is that, again, when it becomes chronic, it, it drives inflammation. And then the problem is that inflammation then causes more stress. So everything is this kind of double edged sword where you need a little bit of it. So we yeah. use the Goldilocks uh, analogy quite a lot in, in our lab because everything, you know, we have proteins which we know cause diabetes. And the problem is that you still need a little bit of it. So if you have too much of it, you get diabetes. If you haven't got any of it, you know, it has another effect. So you always need a little bit of everything.
1: You're trying to
2: strike the right balance. Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
1: I think you've just you've just talked about there about making kind of you know the example you gave of somebody who weighed um, three hundred kilos but lost ten percent of it. Um, it's kind of making small changes actually have a huge effect. So one of the, you know one of the our, our previous episode which is focusing on the various different lifestyle factors that we focus on and choose to change things like you mentioned sleep, self care, even use of technology which is a stressor as well. Um, our diet, exercise, even I don't think people realize making small changes on these things every day, the huge impact that they can actually have on your your impl- inflammation and therefore your immune system.
2: Yeah, no, no absolutely. I mean, the, the, the immune system is primed to react at the smallest kind of what we call an insult. So that can be an infection. It can be, um, you know, kind of a trauma. But, but as well as that slice of you mentioned there, technology. So say like we've now learned that blue light, which is given out from our devices, blue light dis- disrupts our circadian rhythm, and you know disrupts the circadian rhythm leads to inflammation. So you kind of see how simple things like you know the, the use of technology at the wrong time, you know, can trigger these processes. And you know to to make these links, ten years ago would have you would have been kind of you know you would have been just thought of as a, as a, as a mad person but, but now definitely you start to see that there's actually real links here so you know the, the technology companies and you know the, the food companies are are so ahead of the game you know in constantly trying to counteract the information that say for example my lab put out where most people's phones now they change from the blue light They have a filter that comes on at say 10 o'clock yeah
1: because
2: they, because they know like that the companies have known for several years now that this blue light is really bad you know the mm. same way the food companies kind of knew and the tobacco companies knew that their products you know are are, are damaging so they're, they're constantly trying to just stay one step ahead of you know the research and um, so yeah you have to take this whole approach where you know you address multiple aspects of, of your kind of uh, life and looking at some
1: of those factors then i guess specifically andy um you touched on exercise a couple of minutes ago and it is something that um it can induce, as you said, acute inflammation. Um, but exercise, talk to us a little bit about how exercise is actually good for inflammation and our immune system in the long run.
2: Yes. So so we know what, one of the big things that, that exercise does is obviously, you know, it, it stresses the body in a kind of controlled manner. And what happens is you get the production of some acute inflammation, but as I said, what rapidly comes after that is, is kind of, you know, a whole lot of anti-inflammatory uh, kind of proteins being produced. And one that we, we've we kind of been interested in is called IRISIN. So when you work a muscle out, you produce IRISIN. Uh, it, it's called a myokine. That means it's a protein that comes from muscle. Now, it turns out that IRISIN is a really good insulin sensitizer. So it helps your body kind of manage glucose, you know, it helps it kind of um, maintain it's it's responsive to insulin and one of the big things that we see is that say for example inflammation results in insulin resistance and insulin resistance is a dangerous process because that's the first sign that your metabolism is starting to break down so you know by training your muscles and particularly say for example resistance exercise and hit training it's been shown that rise and some other proteins that are similar are released and what they do is they, they kind of help keep your metabolism you know in, in in prime condition so obviously without exercise you know, you don't have those responses so when you add in something like say for example a bad diet you know you you, you have all the promotion but none of the, this kind of safety net so I guess exercise you know when it comes back to Jeff's question can you did I out train a bad diet absolutely you know is it the best way of doing it you know no, because you have to approach all angles. But but exercise has this fantastic effect of just boosting your metabolism, and um, but also kind of dampening inflammation. And that's really the key: is to have a good metabolism with as low inflammation as possible.
1: I think at the moment, and we had a we had a bit of a chat ourselves before we we came on here. You know, it is difficult at the moment with these various different lockdowns that are happening to kind of, I guess, keep our same routines as we've had before we associate being at home not with training i think a lot of people need to go somewhere to physically train but i mean you've just discussed there the, you, you don't have to be lifting weights or kind of doing hit intervals every single day it's just movement it's some form of exercise every day to keep that kind of um, metabolism going as best we can in in the times that we're in now
2: no no absolutely i, I mean it, movement is 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 the best medicine you know absolutely uh, definitely there's some there is some strong evidence i think that you know certain types of exercises kind of are better than others so i think one thing that's come out is that um and we've seen this and say even the world health organization their guidelines used to tell us to be active you know for half an hour you know every other day and actually in one of their most recent guidelines they, they told us to, to add in resistance training and that was new so rather than just say get out for a walk you know they're now kind of promoting you know the 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 addition of say resistance training now that could be you know body weight stuff push push ups, squats and stuff but, but what happens is because they have a different impact on the muscle you know so, so so definitely they they promote a different kind of response to say for example just going for a walk both are fantastic for the body you know they both burn calories they both you know force your body to to use the nutrients it has you know to 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 make sure that the excess nutrients that it has that you know they're being utilized so you have this turnover yeah. constantly of nutrients but resistance exercise i think definitely is coming out as one of the major drivers of this muscle driven metabolic health
1: and then specifically you kind of mentioned that there kind of our, our, our diet you know kind of exercise is one thing what we're physically consuming in terms of the food we eat is also very important Um, And you touched on it yourself before kind of living this kind of modern diet that we're exposed to is highly super processed foods, which are addictive. We know they're addictive now. Um, What we work, which is to change on is very much kind of honing in on being much more aware of our hunger cues and our appetite. We've just started to kind of not started, but for for many, many years now, we've been just eating completely mindlessly, not recognising when we're hungry and when we're not. you know you, you've you talked yourself a little bit about kind of you, you know your own experience with hunger levels or not maybe recognizing hunger levels in the past
2: yeah no it's funny because um, down here in uh, Minute I actually have a I run a module which focuses on metabolism and metabolic disease and actually the, the lecture which happened most recently was all around how we control food intake and we try to get across the the message that there's there's one major driver of food intake and it's called ghrelin. That's your hunger hormone. So ghrelin peaks just before you eat. And what happens then is the body has, I think in, in the lectures, we discuss uh, eight signals to tell you to stop eating. So, so the body even in in
1: eight eight. Eight
2: signals that all signal to tell you to stop eating now they're, they're, they, they have kind of like the immune system. We have a few different functions. So their primary function is not only to tell you to stop eating, like say for example insulin we know insulin probably best as in the the hormone the peptide that allows us to get rid of excess blood glucose and, and get it into the the cells that need it but insulin also uh, kind of acts on the hypothalamus to tell us that we're full right and then we, so we have several of these kind of proteins which after we eat the body releases them it releases them from 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 our fat cells it releases them from our gut from our stomach Their primary role is to help us digest and use those nutrients so we're just taking this massive you know nutrient load when we eat but it's secondary function of all these is to go to the brain and say we have food we're digesting food and so so the fact that the body has one hormone that kind of drives food intake and you know numerous ones that tell you to stop eating tells you that it's a really important uh kind of process to control then the next lecture, so I hope none of the students are listening to this because we haven't got to, it, but the next lecture is we start to see that these break down and these break down by, you know, the intake of the wrong nutrients and um, inflammation has a massive effect on these. There's other processes like even coming down to stress. So what happens is the body starts becoming blunted to these other signals. So it literally starts ignoring these signals. And then the problem is when it ignores the signals that actually promotes more food intake it's kind of going actually I haven't got the signal to say we're full which means we must not be full and then when you get that signal your your, your process then is to eat. and um, so so yeah it, it, it it's a really kind of complex one but it's very easy for it to break and, and that's the really worrying thing is that you know if you have a bad diet you know bad sleep you start having an effect on these signals which then actually you know you get this promotion of food intake Um and then the the food companies are so so good at you know promoting this yeah. from from all the cues from from visual cues you know you don't even know subconsciously but also you know triggering the right parts of the brain that will tell you I know I shouldn't have this but I need more of this
0: <laughs> well, like i was i did for anybody that doesn't know, I was also in the news. <laughs> Andy saw me there all of two times, maybe. <laughs> but I did marketing in it, and we studied contemporary issues within marketing itself. And um, and to be honest, like it's very hard to get away from it. Like the studies that are done on the brain, on how people respond on the certain colors, the certain items, to certain things that all being advertised and all being studied. to the last little thing, like, it's so hard to get away from like they are meticulous and want you to buy this (laughs) good. They are meticulous.
2: No, no, they're they're fantastic. And and what they, what they can do is, I said their research is is so advanced and so well funded that they're, they're ahead of, you know, like academic labs, like ours, they're the streets ahead of. So like when, when they started moving, when say for example, fat got a very bad name, what happened was they were able to reduce the, the fat content in a lot of products but they just increase the sugar content because they know yeah your brain kind of really likes fat and sugar like they're the two most valuable sources of energy that we can have is a fat source and an energy source uh, the body doesn't crave protein in the same way because it's not as as kind of you know uh as a satisfactory an energy source so protein is great for you know repairing muscles helping us build cells but it's not a great fuel. We can use it for fuel, but the body would rather use sugars. So yeah, the, the food industry were, were really clever in that. You know, when fat kind of became the villain, and uh, they say, okay, let's take fat out, just let's put a lot of sugar in. You know, so I can't see reformulating, but the reformulations, you know, are are as bad. So if you're having to reformulate a product, like no one's ever reformulated the carrot. Mm-hmm. You know, the carrot is what it is. <laughs> Um so if, if you're reformulating your, your food products you're, you're probably you know up to something that you shouldn't be up to yeah
1: yeah definitely um, and you touched on um sleep and the circadian rhythm there um a short while ago um but in you know outside of circadian rhythm rhythm you know how important i i used to kind of function on or think i could function on about kind of you know five and a half to six and a half hours sleep um I've put a huge amount of work into that over the last probably 12 months and I've improved on it. But what are the dangers or what are how how specifically can a lack of sleep impact or influence inflammation in our bodies?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, so again, kind of barred to the disrupted circadian rhythm, which drives inflammation. We we know that during sleep, the body goes through really important processes. So, you know, it, it dials down, you know, some of its its, its functions. allow others to repair we know for example like there's a great growth period for your muscles during your sleep and but like everything else like everything needs a break so the immune system for example kind of dampens down during sleep Uh, and no different than a muscle the immune system needs some some rest you know we we all need rest and that goes for the, the the internal bits of us as well but when you keep asking these guys to work these different systems to work, you know, what happens is they become stressed. So we know that an immune system can suffer stress. And again, and like a broken record, when you get immune stress, you get inflammation. So you're going to see that all roles lead to inflammation. So whether it's, you know, stress at a whole body level or stress at the immune system, you know, a lack of sleep at the whole body or the immune system, it all kind of leads towards the same uh, process, which is this unwanted inflammation which then goes on to have a knock-on effect and cause, you know, this kind of cycle. Which, um uh, I said, it is probably, probably, I think the the kind of the, the the greatest threat to our health is this cyclical thing of, you know, our environment driving inflammation, and and how how this cascades for for many years. As we said, like this can go on for uh, twenty plus years. So I think in in about twenty twelve we had been studying kind of adult obesity for a few years at that stage and it was just all bad news so you know I just kept mm. everything we looked at seemed to have this really really kind of detrimental effect so at that stage we kind of said well let's see when this all starts so kind of I started um, a childhood obesity uh, cohort over in Crumlin Children's Hospital and we started investigating those to see you know at what stage do you go from just having some excess weight To this process of inflammation kicking in which results then in the diabetes that we see later in life and really surprising we found that in kids as young as six who had you know excess body weight now these would be kids who you know have been referred to a hospital because of their weight so like they're they're not you know they're they're not kids who have just a couple of extra pounds like they will have a, a weight issue but we were finding inflammation that we would kind of consider you know linked to say diabetes in a six-year-old now we know that six-year-old doesn't get diabetes for the next you know 25 years but the process you know is there at six so again it shows that these are lifelong kind of processes that start very early and are silent for, for many years
1: when yeah
0: you- so i think <laughs> i have a question you, know, you might not be able to answer this question whatsoever but when you talk about sleep in the arcadian rhythm what happens then when we nap? Like does does like say we take an hour nap in the day? Now I have a tendency sometimes to take a good two hour nap. Um, and <laughs> if we take an hour nap in the day, does that help us at all in terms of inflammation or like our immune system shutting down this that, or the other? Like does that help us,
2: or is it just kind of a waste of time? So uh, I think this is you trying to justify your naps, and me trying <laughs> to you trying to get some science to behind them um no, no definitely listen if you're napping during the day um your body needs it right so you know we've all lay in the couch and coming i'm going to go for a nap and an hour later you're still awake if you're hitting the couch and you know you're asleep within five ten minutes you know your, your body needs that so, so it does show that you know there's a there's there's a want and a need for it it also there becomes the the extreme like that so again it comes back to goldilocks you know if you're the kind of person who lies on the couch all day and just gets into this cycle of napping, your body will you know quite 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 happily take it so um during those naps again their windows, we know what happens is we know there's, there's there's changes in your immune system, your hormonal regulation, probably not the same as that that sustained period at night, but definitely it's just a a stage when the body can, can dial down some processes to allow them to rest
1: okay, good. And you mentioned you on environment there a minute ago, Andy, um, and the importance of our environment, which obviously encompasses a number of those factors we sp- spoke about. But how important is our environment and how we surround ourselves on our immune system?
2: Yes. So in our research, we kind of we constantly talk about the environment being the the driver of this epidemic. And when, when we talk about the environment, we talk about, you know, everything from our food to our you know our exercise and our kind of sleep they all feed into it but but what we kind of start to 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 kind of figure out is that the environment has links into say for example your your social standing and you know your your job so there's also factors that we can't control so we can all turn around and say you know what i'm going to exercise in the morning for an hour we we all have that ability you know we can all turn and say listen i'm going to eat healthier this week and One of the big things that the environment kind of where the real problem for us comes in is that not everybody can turn around and say, you know, I think you might have the means to go off and do a, you know, whatever, whatever they think is needed. And just people who have to work two jobs, you know, people who are up, you know, I really kind of, you know, kind of, Cruel hours and work very long hours to make ends meet. So your environment kind of is, is controllable factors, but unfortunately, there's, there's a whole lot of factors that are more difficult to control for for certain kind of aspects of it. So when we talk about environments, you know, even genetics can come into that. So mm-hmm. there's definitely genetic predispositions to to kind of altered body weight and, and altered metabolism. Are they driving your weight gain? Probably not. But what happens is when you pair them with the wrong environments. You get this perfect kind of you know, perfect storm in the teacup that just allows it to, to drive ahead. If you can control it. So again, Jeff knows my brother who um, you know, has the worst diet and did no sport for the longest time, and walked around, you know, a good, you know, 10 kilos larger than meal at all times, where I was eating well and training well and was naturally heavier. So what happens is, is that his genetic makeup just allows him to be a little bit more liberal you know, where my genetic makeup really punishes me. So, you know, I have to control the environment very, very tightly. Otherwise, my body, you know, takes an inch and runs a mile. So, <laughs> so, so genetics, something we can't control again. But, but what happens is we do know that those people who are genetically predisposed, you know, have to work a little bit harder, unfortunately, than, you know, we all have that one person who, you know, pretty much does what they want and doesn't, you know, pile on a lot of weight. And um, Not to say they're healthy because, again, this silent process of inflammation can be going on inside, but but definitely the environment is a whole lot of factors we can control, and some we just have to limit and manage the best we can. So, again, it comes back to a balance, you know, and we can apply the Goldilocks analogy of, you know, too little, too much, just right to anything, but even exercise, you know. Now, obviously, you know, ultramarathons in the desert are probably, you know, the most extreme... Uh, Goldilocks analogy we have. But but I think exercise, you know, there's only benefits to be gotten from it. And um, if you can dial into the nutrition then and kind of take away some of your stressors, you know, you you're 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 kind of away and running and you know, you're you're on the way to the bank, which I guess again is the goal for all of us. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think when you start to exercise and you, you start to kind of see a little bit of progress and a little bit of improvement from there, you naturally want to start to eat better eat better anyway. And I think it's it's a good place to start. We can all we can all start to increase our movement. We can all start to kind of increase our energy expenditure. And I think that lends itself to kind of making healthy changes in other areas
2: of our life too. Absolutely. So, so we have we've a, a really kind of fantastic researcher in a lab who, who's a bit unusual in that she's she's a child uh, psychologist, uh, or child psychiatrist. Sorry, child psychiatrist. And how she got into our lab was that um, she has a group of children who have you know. Uh, severe behavioural problems due to, say, you know, things like the, the autism spectrum disorders. And, and they start on a medication. And what happens is when they start on this medication, which blocks dopamine. They, they can kind of double their body weight within three months. So she came to us about three years ago saying, you know, why is this happening and how do we figure out? And one of the things that that, that Karen has shown really nicely is that um, dopamine has a really important role in regulating inflammation surprisingly enough and you know we all of a sudden give these children drugs that completely block all dopamine activity and what it does is it turns out that that dopamine is a a kind of a, a very mild break on the immune system I mean you take away that break it just allows it to kind of you know charge towards inflammation and dopamine is just one of these kind of factors that you know our our mood effects. so obviously, you know, there's loads of other serotonin, they all have effects on the immune system. So definitely, you know, exercise, you know, promotes these feelings of, you know, kind of a happiness, achievement, you know, satisfaction. And, and these kind of feelings are driven by hormones, which then feed back onto the immune system. So it's all interlinked. And and that's why it's so hard for us as researchers to just tease out one part, you know, I think all the time, it's so complex. And sometimes I can get myself tied up and not trying to talk about it because it all leads into each other, but definitely comes back to i think exercise again gives you that 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 feel good feeling yeah uh, know that those hormones and we have it here because we have a a group of children who are you know put on drugs that that they they need unfortunately, but those drugs then put massive breaks on these kind of uh hormones and are or, or actually these uh neurotransmitters and then what happens is the immune system you know starts to become inflammatory and you get broken metabolism and you get weight gain and it comes back to this was a nice way of just kind of showing to us in a very short term, term what's happening long term in, in people with kind of bad lifestyles yeah
1: yeah well that's brilliant Andy thank you very much for your time we no
2: really appreciate it <laughs> i probably kind of confused people and raised more questions sorry no, no. Jeff had a comment there
0: but I presume we should be Dr. Andy Hogan. We should be
2: calling. Uh, listen, I you know, as as Kate often says to me, Kate's my wife often says to me, uh, you're a doctor like Dr. Pepper's a doctor. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, um, I, I think some people call me Dr. Hogan, but it's uh, it's it, it, it's rare and uh I'm Andy to, to majority of people. I
1: oh, no. Well listen, thank you so much for your time today. We really, really appreciate
2: <laughs> it. Not at all. Love chatting and I said, um yeah, obviously I'm always available to chat it's kind of science and you say you know if anyone's listening you know my, my email is findable and usually you know lo- love to nerd out on this stuff because i probably yeah. raise more questions than answers but uh that, that's what where, it's all about.
1: where can people find you andy if they want to make contact
2: um, with you? We, we have so our lab is the is the o'shea hogan lab is on twitter you know so, so we're on twitter we're on all the, the usual platforms you know Um, Now, I don't want a whole lot of people just reaching out to me, you know, randomly. (laughs) No, it's something that we touched on. You know, we're always happy to kind of uh, explore and explain kind of our research, especially because I think it's really important for us as scientists. For so long, we kind of said, you know, everything we do is too complex for you to understand. So just trust us. Yeah. And, And we've kind of realized that that's absolutely wrong because, first of all, the public pay for the majority of our research. Yeah. You know, and actually our research, the ultimate goal is to, you know, improve the lives of the public. So they really need to know what we're doing. I think the coronavirus has kind of shown us that. So yeah, for the most part, you know, we give those public talks, you know, that that happened here in Minutes where, you know, we'd present our research and give the lay public, as we call people patronizingly, a chance to come, have a listen, but also interact, ask questions, and hopefully, you know, stimulate us to think about things in a different way. That's really what, what we want as well.
1: Yeah, great. Well, listen, we won't take up any more of your time. Uh, thanks very much again. We hope to um, have maybe have a follow up conversation at some point in the future as well.
2: Yeah, anytime. More next time ahead. in person. Yeah, next time in person, and then hopefully you know maybe even a gym session soon. I, I, I know uh, myself and Jeff got got one. I didn't talk to me during it, but we got one in recently enough oh. where we were in the same room, albeit at different ends of the room. But then I uh, hope before long we can, we can get back. Definitely. together in Definitely. person. Good. Thanks a lot. Listen, guys, take care and I'll chat to you soon.
1: So, there we go. That was a great conversation with Andy. Really enjoyed that. Could literally spend hours talking to him about all of that um, research, as he says, nerding out on it. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from that, Jeff?
0: Well, Andy actually knows what he talked about. I thought he was just lying this whole time, <laughs> uh, and, uh Yeah, no, Andy came across really well. Uh, he definitely knows what he's speaking about. Uh, I say it was, you know, because he's our first guest. Uh, It was nice to get an expert's opinion in on it, and that we could kind of bounce around a few ideas off of him, and he could come back with kind of firm uh, knowledge. And it's all he seems to be big into evidence-based, which I'm pro on as well. So all of a sudden, you know, we can throw around ideas, and he's coming back with firm knowledge.
1: uh, Yeah,
0: knowledge is just it's refreshing. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, similar. Like I think for me. Um, it was very much focused on, it was very evidence-based, but evidence-based around these small little actions that we can all take. And I think the big, one of the big takeaways for me was um, the fact that if you're able to kind of maintain a healthy life, both with diet, sleep, um, stress management and exercise, up until you're kind of 60 years of age without having developed a chronic disease, obviously there's exceptions aside, you're very unlikely to, to develop one thereafter. So I think, it's so important that to focus on what we do have control over um, at this stage of our life and er- as early as we can, and
0: yeah.
1: um, to make sure that we live for as long as we can, as healthy as we
0: can. Yeah, okay, so you, you're thinking about it now because you know you're heading on for that number fairly soon. Aren't you? Oh,
1: very funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a lot of good bit to go now, so you know that's not on my mind as much. But it is—it is, it, it is amazing how just the little things can uh, add up to so much over a lifetime in terms of Whether we go one way or the other. Uh, And what it's like, you know, you can, well, because I'm now 23, you're heading, you know, I've got a good 37 years uh, before I hit 60. But the things I do, little things I do now, will hugely affect how I am health wise, like when you're 60. And obviously, a lot of people my age wouldn't think about that now. But you will look back and go, oh, if I did this little thing, maybe I wouldn't be in this situation now. And it can really play an effect on, on, well, hopefully everybody that's listening, it's going to affect them in some way that they go, oh, maybe maybe there's things I can do better. Maybe there's, yeah. there's things I can pick up on. Do
1: you think, as a 23-year-old, do you think it resonated with you, the different things that he was saying, considering the fact that, you know, old age is quite a long way away for you? For you? So
0: when he says over time, like, that's going to resonate when he's saying when you're this age, it's going to affect you maybe 20 or 30 years down the line. Then yeah. Uh, but other than that, like I'm not thinking about all oh, if I'm 60, but I will think about well, what my health will be like. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Good. Okay, well, that's it. Uh, let's wrap it up then for another episode. Can't believe we're three episodes in. Um. So I hope everyone's keeping well. I know we're going back into our second or her third lockdown here in Ireland. We're two weeks into what, six
0: weeks? Uh, that was for all our uh, international listeners, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> That was for all our international listeners. International right? listeners, yes. <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah, two weeks into the six week lockdown. So, I hope everyone's keeping well and staying well physically and mentally. And we shall talk to you again soon.